Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, if I don't know you yet, my name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance, uh, and I'm glad that we can be together today, and I'm excited that we can gather together and just look at what God's Word has for us today. Um, so again, Dylan kind of welcomed the guest, but I'm, I'm going to do it again. If you're new here, we want to welcome you here, uh, and we're really glad that you can be with us. Uh, we are in a series continuing through a book of the Bible called Mark. And uh, the series we've called Follow Jesus, because in it what we see are people's lives transformed as they begin to follow Jesus. And so, if, uh, so, so we're looking at how we can follow Jesus as we walk through what the Bible says about his life, death, and resurrection. So I'm going to tell you guys a bit of a story to begin. Um, when I was in high school... It was kind of around the same time as the Transformers movies came out. You guys know what I'm talking about? You you know all the Transformers movies, the ones with Shia LaBeouf with uh, the trucks, and they get possessed by aliens, and they can transform into these huge robots that save the world, right? Uh, Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and the Autobots versus the Decepticons, right? Um, Well, I was kind of into the Transformers. Uh, It was a show that I had watched as a kid, And like I said, when I was in high school, this was when all the new movies were coming out. And so I was kind of interested in watching them. Uh, And my girlfriend at the time, she knew that. And she was shopping one day, and she thought, thought, hey, I'll get one of those movies for Graham, because I know that he likes these movies. And so she bought me this movie. And uh, I think she ended up giving it to me on my birthday or something. And so when she gave it to me, uh, I opened it up. And it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Um, It wasn't what I was expecting because the movie that she had bought me, it wasn't Transformers, it was Transmorphers. Um, Which is not, it's not the same thing as Transformers, right? Because uh, Transformers, it looks like this, right? And Transmorphers looks like this, right? Transformers looks like this, and Transmorphers looks like this. Pew, pew. Um, That's kind of what I picture him doing, right? Uh, I think Transmorphers kind of looks like a Transformer who's who's eating a tapeworm or something. Um, But needless to say, I was very uninspired by Transmorphers. Uh, You might say it wasn't very transforming for me. Um, Also needless to say, Things didn't work out between me and that girlfriend. Um, But anyways, so today we are not talking about alien-possessed cars, uh, but we actually are talking about a demon-possessed man. And we're not talking about transformers or transmorphers, but we are talking about transformation. And uh, we're going to be talking about it from a story in the Bible about a man whose life gets drastically transformed Um, But more importantly, what we see, a real transformation of his heart. 
And so he goes from a life of rejecting Jesus to a life of following Jesus. And so one of the main things that I want us to see from our text is that to follow Jesus means to go in his strength. To follow Jesus means to go in his strength. And we'll unpack that a little bit more as we go through our text for today. Um, So let's just start by reading our text. So today we're going to be in Mark chapter 5. So if you want to turn there in uh, your Bible, Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Um, If you don't have a a Bible, uh, in the back at our Connect table, we have a couple of uh, copies of the Gospel of Mark, and those are free for you to have. So if you want you if you want one you can just raise your hand and uh, James will bring you one. So um, again Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be for the day. Um, and actually let's let's pray to begin our time. Um, Father, we thank you that we can be here today and we can look at your word. Um, God, we're dealing with a, a text that is maybe confusing to some, but we know that your word is here not to confuse us, but it is meant for um, to build us up and so that we can know more about who you are. God, I ask that you would uh, speak through your word today and that we would leave here knowing more about who you are and loving you more today. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here is what Mark chapter 5 has to say. We're going to read through, not the whole chapter, but we're going to read through the first 20 verses. Uh, It says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, "'What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God?' I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the, the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had, who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid." And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So um, I'm going to tell you guys another story here. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we had our interns uh, over for dinner, and uh, one of the, the interns, she, uh, her name is Rachel, she told us a story about how she went to a cafe around where she was staying, and she had been getting to know some of the baristas there. And so she went in, and she began reading her Bible, and she started reading this passage. And as she was reading, uh, one of the baristas who had gotten to know her, she came up to her, and she said, hey, what are you reading? And she kind of had no idea what to tell this person, right? She was like, pause, and she's like, well, I'm, I'm reading my Bible. Um, and she thought, like, please don't ask me what I'm reading right? She didn't know what to say because our passage for today seems pretty out there. And like, really, what do you, what do you say to that, though? Do you say, like, yeah, I'm reading my Bible. Um, it's a story about uh, this Jesus and this guy who lives in a cemetery, and then these demon pigs, they end up drowning themselves, um, right? Because there is a lot of unusual things that are going on in our passage for today. Um, and I suspect that might be the reaction uh, for many of us here. Like, what do we do with a text like this? How do we make sense of it? And how can we benefit from a story like this? And so we're going to explore that today because this story is not here by accident. Uh, it's not here to, it's not put here to confuse us or to catch us off, off guard. But all of this is the word of God and is meant for our edification and so that we would be built up, and that we would know and appreciate God more because of it. Uh, the book of 2 Timothy, it says, uh, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so we fully believe that, and just because we come across, uh, we come across a text that may seem confusing, uh, doesn't mean that we just ignore it and that we move on from it, uh, but that actually we explore it more and we lean heavily on God's Spirit to reveal to us the truth about God for our enrichment. Um, and so all that to say, uh, we do have a very rich passage here in Mark, and, and as I said, um, it may sound confusing at first glance, uh, but when we read it, uh, for those who have been with us through this series, this actually should remind us of something. When we read this passage, we should be reminded of another passage that we recently just read in Mark. What does this sound like? So if you, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Pharisees and scribes and how they were seeing Jesus healing people and, and casting out demons. And they were accusing him of doing it by evil powers rather than by the power of God. So what they said was, they, they said, the, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And so Jesus responds to them and by basically saying that that doesn't make any sense. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? And then he tells them this parable about the strong man. And so he says in verse 27, he says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So we learn that in that parable, the strong man that Jesus is referring to is Satan. And so Jesus is saying, you can't just walk into his house and take what belongs to him because he is much stronger than you. He says, first you have to bind him and then you can go into his house. 
Basically, this boils down to Jesus claiming that his power is much stronger than the power of Satan's. Satan's power is nothing compared to God because God can march right on in and bind him up as he pleases. And Jesus is saying that's the power that he has. He has the power of God that is much stronger than that of the demons. He has the power to bind up the demons and take from him, from them, what he wills. So how does this relate to what we're talking, to, talking about today? Well, I think if we look at the language of our text today, I think we will see a lot of similarities. What do we see here? We see a man that's possessed by demons. We see that nothing could bind him because of his strength. And we see the power of Jesus is much stronger than the evil spiritual forces in this man. And so our text focuses on the power of Jesus at work in this man's life, and it contrasts it to the power of the evil spiritual forces. So that being said, um, here is what I want us to see from our passage today. So what, we're, what we see in our text are four responses to witnessing the power of God, four responses to seeing the power of God at work in this man. And so we're going to explore them as we go through our text today. If you want to write them down um, to help you remember them, feel free to do that. Um, but here's what they are. So reaction number one to Jesus' power. Uh, we, first we see the demons, and their reaction is to say, let us go away from you. So they say, let us go away from you. Next is the reaction of the herdsmen in the story. And they react to Jesus' power by saying, go away from us. They say, go away from us. Following the herdsman, we see the man who was formerly possessed. So we, we call him the healed man. Uh, his reaction to the power of God is to say, let me go with you. So he says, let me go with you. And finally, we see what Jesus says. And we see that Jesus says, go. So Jesus says, go. And so, in all of this, uh, the big picture that I want us to see again is that to follow Jesus means to go, uh, to go in his strength. We'll add that as well. Um, so, let's take a look at the first response to the power of Jesus here. Um, so, we see Jesus and his disciples, they come to this country called the Gerasenes. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and immediately he is met by this possessed man. This man, we're told, he lives in the tombs, right? So he's basically living in a cemetery. He's living among the dead, which is certainly unusual. It also says that no one was able to bind him, not even with a chain, because he kept breaking the chains apart. So it highlights here this unusual strength that he had. And then it says that he was constantly screaming both day and night, and he was cutting himself with stones. So this again tells us a lot about this man and his situation. The strength that he had is clearly not human. He, he has a lot of strength, but it's not human. Uh, while we see that he has a lot of power, we also see that the power that he has is not a good power. So it's causing him to live in seclusion by himself amongst the tombs, amongst the dead, and it's causing him to scream all night and day and it's causing him to mutilate his body with stones. So he's clearly being tormented by this evil spirit. And this evil spirit, it evidently has a lot of power. 
we also find out that this man isn't just possessed by one demon, but in fact by many. And Mark tells us that when the demons, they, when they leave him and they enter the pigs, it says that they entered about 2,000 of them. Now, I don't know how demon possession works in pigs, if it's just one per pig or more or less, um, but I think it's certainly mentioned here to show us the power that possessed this man, that even 2,000 pigs couldn't handle this power, and they decided to drown themselves as opposed to being tormented anymore. And so uh, it is evident the evil supernatural power that is possessing this man. But as soon as we hear of the power of this evil spirit, what happens? The spirit in this man uh, sees Jesus coming from a distance and bows down in front of him. They call, they call out to him as Jesus, son of the most high God. And so the very presence of Jesus causes these spirits to tremble. So for all the strength that they have to break free from these chains and possess this man, that they, they recognize that they must bow before Jesus. They know that Jesus has the ultimate power, and to be even in his midst causes them to bow down in fear of the power of Jesus. So I think this tells us a lot about the power of God as well as the world that we live in. Because what we see in the Bible is not this good versus evil battle as if there are two equal opposing forces. Right? It's not like this yin and, and, yin and yang where we don't know who's going to win. It's Jesus, the creator, and everything else, creation, that is subject to the rule of God. It is creation, demons and humans included, that have rebelled against the ultimate good, but have no real power against it. Because for all the power that these demons had, they immediately recognized the real power and authority of Jesus, right? They had, they had beyond human strength, and yet they must bow down before Jesus because they know who's in charge. And so if we look back at our story, we see Jesus begins telling the demons to come out of this man. Um, but what they say, they beg him to send them into a herd of pigs. Now, why are they saying, why do they want to go into the pigs? What are they saying here? They're saying, let us go away from you. Let us escape. We don't want to be near you anymore. They say, please, just let us leave. We'll go into these pigs, and then we'll leave. So they recognize Jesus' power. They know they're in trouble because Jesus is there. And so the reaction to witnessing the power of Jesus is to say, let us go away from you. Next, we see the herdsman's reaction. And the reaction to witnessing the power of Jesus is to say, go away from us. So they say, go away from us. And this seems similar to the reaction of the demons. Let's read what it says. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So what's the difference here? On the outset, they seem to have similar responses to the demons. They both don't want to be anywhere near Jesus, and they both even fear Jesus. 
So we see that in verse 15 where it says that they saw the man in his right mind and they were afraid. So how is their reaction any different than that of the demons? Well, the difference is in why they fear Jesus. You see, the, the demons fear Jesus for what he will do to them, and the herdsmen fear Jesus for what he will do for them. The demons are subject to the wrath of Jesus, but the herdsmen are subject to Jesus' mercy. They came to see what, he, what Jesus had done to this possessed man, and, and they say, no, we don't want that. Please leave. Go away from us. Why do they reject the power of Jesus, though? Because the power of Jesus will cause them to change. The power of Jesus is a transformational power that will change who they are, and they are afraid of that. They would rather be stuck in their own ways than be transformed to do the things God's way. And if we look at our text, uh, I want us to look at a few ways in which Jesus' power transforms. And so I'm just going to highlight for us two today. Uh, first, we see that the power of Jesus brings order from chaos. So it brings order from chaos. So what we see in this, in this man is that he goes from a life of seclusion, living among the tombs, cutting himself and screaming all night and day to a completely transformed life. It says that after he was healed, he was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. He was completely sane. And later he goes home and he tells all his friends what Jesus, what Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So he's around people, sharing, sharing with them what Jesus has done and is living a totally sane life. So the power of Jesus brings order to this man uh, after a life of chaos. Then we see that the power of Jesus brings freedom from enslavement. And it's kind of ironic that in this story, this man, he kept breaking free from the chains and shackles that were meant to hold him. It says no one could bind him, no one could restrain him, and in any physical sense, he was as free as he could be. And yet he was so spiritually enslaved to these demons that he had no control over even his own life. He was stuck in this world of chaos, and he had no power to escape. And Jesus freed this man from enslavement to these demons to a life of following Jesus. And this is how, what we see of how Jesus transforms our lives. So we may not face the same problems as this man. We might, may not have actual demons possessing us, but our sin leaves us in chaos and enslavement. First of all, our sin, our sin leads to chaos. So the brokenness that we see in this world, the suffering we see and the pain and anguish that we face is a result of sin. It is a result of us choosing to do things our way instead of God's way. The brokenness we see in this world is us simultaneously uh, being a part of the chaos in the world as well as being victims to other people's chaos. And so all of our sin contributes to the chaos in this world that opposes God's order. Our sin also leaves us enslaved. And so if you have time this week, you can, you can read through Romans chapter 6. Um, I won't get into it in too much detail, but it talks about how we are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness, meaning that 
without a transformed heart, we are actually slaves to sin. We cannot make ourselves want to obey God. And we may even do some good things, but the, even the good things that we do are tainted by our selfish desires, and they don't earn us any favor with God. And so our own sin, on our own, our sin has a grip on us, and we are slaves to it unless we have a transformed heart. But all of this is what Jesus came to reverse. This is what Jesus has to offer. Order from chaos and freedom from enslavement. And this happens when we put our faith in him and in his righteousness. So again, our situation may not look exactly as this possessed man, but we are just as desperately in need of Jesus to bring order to the sinful chaos and enslavement in our lives. And this is exactly what the herdsmen are resisting, right? They're resisting the power of Jesus that can transform their lives. They've seen and heard what Jesus has done for this man, and they say, no, I'm not interested. Please go away from us. And so uh, what we see is the demons, they say, let us go away from you. The herdsmen say, let, uh, they say, go away from us. And then next we see, after witnessing the power of Jesus, the healed, man, the healed man begs Jesus. He says, let me go with you. And one thing I want us to notice quickly here is what we see in each of Jesus' interactions. So each time Jesus is confronted in this story, it says, and they begged him, or your, your translation might say uh, that they implored him. So of the possessed man, it says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Of the demons, it says, and they begged him, send us, saying, send us to the pigs. Of the herdsmen, it says, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And of the healed man, it says, uh, it says the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Each of these interactions are based on appealing to the authority of Jesus. They're reliant on his permission. And one thing that is interesting here is that Jesus gives permission to both the demons and the herdsmen, but he doesn't give permission to the healed man. The demons, they ask to go to the pigs, and Jesus grants it. The herdsmen ask Jesus to leave, and he grants it. But the healed man asks to come with Jesus, and he does not permit it. What we see is that Jesus has other plans for him. And we see... Uh, and what we see in this is that if we won't let God transform our hearts, he may just allow us to continue to have things our way. We might just get what we want if we don't want Jesus anywhere near us. But ultimately, uh, if we do not have Jesus if, uh, transform our hearts, then we end up in chaos and enslavement to our sin because of it. So looking back at the healed man's response, um, he says... Excuse me. <coughs> Looking back at the, the healed man's response, he says, let me go with you. <clears throat> and you would think that that would be the correct response, right? After all, we are in a series called Follow Jesus. So why doesn't Jesus allow the man to go with him? Well, we're not exactly told why. Uh, one thing we do see is that Jesus had something better for him as he sends him out to tell all of his friends. 
We do also see similar cases throughout the Gospels where Jesus tells people that they can't go with him. And one that came to mind this, this week was when Jesus tells Peter that he can't go with him. And so in John 13, we see P Peter and Jesus are talking. Um, and here's what it says. Uh, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Lord, Peter asked, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus replied, will you lay down your life for me? I assure you, a rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. So Jesus did not permit Peter to follow him because he knew where he was going. Jesus was going to the cross. He was going to be nailed to the cross, and he was going there to pay the penalty for our sins. And he didn't deserve the type of, this type of death, but he willingly took on the weight of our sin that we deserved. And this possessed man, he could not pay the wages for his sin. You and I cannot pay the wages for our sin, but Jesus could and he did. And he offers us new life to those who will put their faith in him. A new life just like he gave this possessed man. A life of order and a life of freedom. So we do not go with Jesus because Jesus has other plans for us. Finally, we see, uh, we come to Jesus' response here. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, go. He says, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And what does this man do? He goes. He goes and starts telling people how Jesus has had mercy on him, and it says that everyone marveled. And what's the biggest transformation here, though? What makes the biggest difference in this man's life? Is it that he stopped cutting himself? Is it that he isn't living in the tombs anymore? Is it that he's no longer possessed? No. The biggest transformation in his life is that his heart is transformed from, dis from disobeying God's will to obeying it. The greatest power of Jesus is on, that's on display here is that he has transformed this man's heart. And we talked uh, before about this man's freedom, that he was seeking freedom from his chains and his shackles, but how Jesus gave him freedom from the demons. And if this story ended there, then all would, we would have is a man that went from having a demon to not having one. But it doesn't end there because this man's true freedom is found in trusting and following Jesus. He chooses Jesus because he realizes that this is the most freeing choice that he could make. Because he could have responded the same way as the herdsman did. He could have said, thank you for healing me, now go away. Or he could have insisted that he go with Jesus. He could have done these things any way that he wanted, and yet he chose to follow Jesus. As he could have said, Jesus, uh, oh, uh, sorry, he, he ends up saying, Jesus, I want to go with you, but I trust you when you say to go. And in doing Jesus' will, he finds the most freedom. Because what happens after Jesus heals him. Jesus tells him to go. It says, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And so the Decapolis were eight, or sorry, they were 10 cities that surrounded the Gerasenes. 
So it's not just in his hometown that he is telling people about Jesus. It's in all of the cities around him, in the Decapolis. This man can't help but tell of what Jesus has done for him. And it is because Jesus has completely transformed his heart. This is the greatest power that is on display by Jesus. The power to transform hearts and lives. And it happens by trusting in him. God transforms our hearts so that we can go. So that we can go and tell what he has done for us and the mercy that he has had on us. So, for us, what does it mean to go? Well, it's the same as it meant for this man. It is sharing how Jesus has transformed your life. It is telling people the transformational power that Jesus can have in their lives when they trust in him, whether that's here in Montreal or overseas or wherever you live. A few weeks ago, we had a barbecue in the park with one of the teams that we had serving here. Um, and I saw, as we were in the park, I saw one of my friends uh, who was a Muslim, and he was hanging out, and so I went over to say hi to him. And he was with a few of his Muslim friends, and so I introduced myself, and one of the guys, he quickly found out that I was a Christian. Um, he asked how I, had, how I knew my friend, and uh, I told him that we had done some interfaith projects together in the community. And so this, this guy, uh, he, I believe he was a very devout Muslim, I think he was trying to actually convert me to Islam, which is, is fine. At this point, I'm quite confident in my faith in Jesus that I'm probably not going anywhere, right? So don't worry. Um, but so uh, he's sharing with me what he believes. And, and as he was sharing, he kept saying, I think you should consider this, right? He says, you're a smart guy. You should ponder what I've told you. And I was really flattered that he called me smart. Um, <laughs> But I thought, like, we could go on debating who's right and wrong, and, and I'm sure neither of us would convince the other through debating, right? Both of us are completely convinced in our own minds that we worship the true God. And so I, I asked him, I said, hey, how long have you been a Muslim? And he said, I've been a Muslim my entire life. And so I shared with him, I said, I have, I have not been a Christian my entire life, um, I come from a Christian, uh, I come from a home where Christian values were taught, um, but I said I've only been a Christian now for, for maybe less than 10 years. And I said prior to that, I lived my life however I wanted. Um, and I thought that gave me freedom. And yeah, I found that my life was actually full of chaos and not order. When I was 24 years old, I was introduced to a friend and he shared who Jesus was with me and my life completely changed. So I went from loving my sin to hating it, and I went from wanting to live my life the way that I wanted to living the way that God intended. And I can only describe that as an act of God because Jesus completely transformed my life. I believe that he came to earth to die for the sins of the world, and God raised him from the dead, and he is alive now and living in those who put their faith in him and in him alone. And if you're here today and you are a Christian, then you have a testimony. You have a story of how you have personally experienced the transforming power of God in your life. And that's something that you can share with others, whether that's here or in the States or wherever you live. Um, we as a, a church, we also want to go to tell people of all nations, not just here in Montreal. And so 
We just went on our first trip to North Africa to help a missionary there in April. Uh, what he does is he builds wells and water towers for the people there. And his wife is a doctor who cares for the people in the villages there. Uh, they also share with people how Jesus transformed their lives and how he can transform theirs. Uh, the people who live out there, they're called the Berbers. And when we went, we spent a lot of time helping with a water tower in one of those villages where the gospel had never been before. And we want to go back and help serve the people out there and share with them how God has transformed our lives. And so that's something that you can be a part of. We're looking at going back next year, and we would love for you to join us in that. So sharing how God has transformed your life and going to the nations are just a couple of practical ways that you can display the power of Jesus that has the ability to transform hearts. So uh, what do you say to the transformational power of Jesus? How will you respond to the good news that Jesus transforms lives by his mercy, that your life can go from chaos to order, from enslavement to sin to freedom from it. Do you say, Jesus, let me go away from you? Do you say, Jesus, go away from me? Do you say, Jesus, let me go with you? Or do you say, Jesus, I will go? And I'll close with this. How are we able to do any of this? Right? Jesus tells us to go. He tells us to go, and he tells us of, to, go, to go and tell of his mercy. Um, but he tells us that we're not doing it alone. I'm going to read for us from the book of Matthew. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 28. And here's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So where the healed man says, let me go with you, Jesus says to us, no, I am going to go with you. I am with you always to the end of the age. We have the promise that Jesus is with us, that his transforming power lives in us no matter where we go. We are sent, not, we are sent out, out not on our own strength, but with the strength of Jesus. So to follow Jesus means to go in his strength, because his strength transforms hearts and lives to love him and to do his will. We're going to close um, I want to I actually just close our time um, just where we are, just praying um, by ourselves. Um, we'll have James come up and, and play. And uh, yeah, I, wanna think, I want us to think about what it means for us to go and tell and, and maybe meditate on how Jesus has transformed your life. Um, I saw the, the group here from, from Parkway. They had shirts that say, uh, here I am, send me. And it's from uh, the book of Isaiah. And, uh, and this is, this is uh, Isaiah's response to God. And what we see in the book of Isaiah is that Isaiah went to a people who were not going to listen. So we see two responses here. We see with the healed man, it says, 
he told them and everyone marveled. And with Isaiah, he told people and they did not listen. So whether we go or not is not dependent on other people's response. It is our response to God that we say, I will go. So take a few minutes to pray um, and we will, I'll wrap this up in a minute.